There are so many different things happening across the world and lots of opinions around it. It's hard to understand what's going on. Well, we're here to help you digest the biggest news stories and find out what they mean to us as individuals and the conversations they're creating. Join me, Liz. And me, Abby, each week to work out what's going on. Welcome to the first ever episode of What's Going On. How excited are you, Abby, to kick off the series? I'm feeling very excited, Liz. Yeah, I mean, we're both journalists. We've just graduated. So we're both very interested in the news and have a bit of an obsession that's probably not normal compared <laughs> to the general public, um, as my parents would attest to. So this is a great way for us to sort of get our news nerdness out and see what's sort of happening across the globe. So let's jump right into it then. So today we'll be talking about flooding that's been happening in Libya. So can you break this down for us a little bit, Abby, please? Because you've definitely been on this story. Yes. So um, the Libya flooding was a massive thing. It happened a couple of weeks ago now. Um, And like most things sort of in the news agenda, it becomes massive when it happens. And then as things progress and sort of time moves forward and other things happen, it does sort of start to lose its momentum and sort of less people start paying attention to it it's not brought to our attention as much in the sort of news each day so a lot of the statistics I've got for it are probably about a week old but they're the most up-to-date ones that we've sort of got at the moment so around two weeks ago there was a storm and it was called Storm Daniel and it has caused the collapse of two dams in Libya specifically in a city called Derna and Derna is located in sort of the north northeast of Libya. The storm made landfall on the 10th of September, and this caused two dams to burst. Um, we're looking at sort of figures of death tolls are sort of a little bit sort of disputed, but the ones that I'm sort of seeing most of are sort of around 11,000. So as you can imagine, Liz, that is a lot, a lot of people, especially for Absolutely, such... Yeah for one place as well in such a short amount of time and people are still looking people are still sort of searching the buildings there's images that emerged of the water picking up um a big multi-story sort of apartment complex and moving about 40 meters and 40 meters doesn't sound like a lot but when you think that water has done that you know and all those people that have just been displaced um it's Reports are sort of saying that about 25% of the city has been destroyed because of these flooding, this flooding. And I think what really stood out to me was just how extreme this was. You know, it was something that just happened. And a lot of stories that sort of come into the news just very quickly sort of develop. And this was one of them. And a lot of the stuff that we were seeing was just pure hope actually out of the people in Derna and they were just clinging on to it and looking for people and this is a country that doesn't necessarily have a lot of money so there weren't a lot of resources people were often digging by hand or digging with spades to try and get through rubble buildings and that just sort of shows how desperate these people are you know when they're talking about using their bare hands through the night with light of news crews from their cameras and their phones to actually find their family members that's insane um there was an amazing story that came out though of this young lad um 
unfortunately he's uh, lost sort of his close um, um sort of closely related family due to the flooding but he was swept out to sea and managed to survive and that's an amazing story of sort of humanity and things like that he's now living yeah. with his uncle but i just it was mad i just mad's not even the right word for it but it just i couldn't believe it how extreme it was and we're seeing a lot of these natural disasters caused by weather we've seen loads across the summer and i think that back to the like point of you know bringing people together and the fight for everyone things like this do tend to bring a sense of like massive community you see it with storms you know in america um in like tsunamis and stuff it just brings people together as a whole yeah. Like, what's the impact that people have had when it comes to family and, you know, being separated in that way? So I've spoken to one person um, who's got family in Dana and he was saying that someone they know has lost 54 members of their family. And that's an insane amount of people to lose, essentially, in yeah. a couple of weeks. You know, that's... I, I couldn't comprehend it when he said... Um, after speaking to him, I was just absolutely speechless. And I I think he was in shock as well. And he said that he didn't know what to say to his friend who told him. He just had no words for it. Because how can you sort of try and justify that and, you know, try and make someone feel better about it? Um, he was also saying that his friend out there who still lives in Derna was saying that the Derna that they knew has gone. There's, it's not there anymore. And... What was really quite interesting, um, and you'll hear this when we sort of um, hear the interview, is um, about how the city of Derna wasn't really divided until this flood happened. And now news reports were were referring to West Derna and East Derna, but there wasn't a Western and East Derna before. The flooding has split this city in two. And I think, again, that short that shows how impactful this water was, you know, and I think people do forget how powerful the ocean and, you know, what a force of nature it actually is. It's a terrifying thing. I'm more scared of, like, discovering the sea than I would be of going into space. I think there's so much there. Yeah, exactly. And like you were saying, tsunamis, you know, these things cause massive destruction. And I think we're starting to see a lot of it and whether that's due to climate change or other reasons as well. But we're certainly starting to see a lot more natural disasters according to the weather. So what sort of support are they getting over in Derna? Are they getting, you know, people like the Red Cross going? Is there a lot of charity and support to help them rebuild? Like, how do you go about rebuilding an entire city? I think that's some some of the questions they're asking, exactly how do you move forward from this? This isn't just sort of something that's devastated a couple of streets. It's not something like that. This is something that has destroyed a quarter of a city and possibly more of that once they sort of start to realise it. And look, at it's not just the initial destruction, it's then what happens afterwards. Um, but they are getting aid. Uh, the Red Cross has gone out there Um the interview that you're going to hear later on in this episode is with the Penny Appeal and they've got links to the community out there and they are saying that aid is getting out there 
but it's a case of giving aid to the people who need it and it's a case of giving the right aid a lot of the time i think when these natural disasters do happen governments pledge lots and lots of money to the country but it's not necessarily money that they need money might be needed in the long term but in the short term you need basic toiletries you need food you need water you need clean water that's another thing that's come out of this because it was a water-based disaster chances of cholera have increased you know there's lots of sort of worries about how illnesses and diseases are going to actually cause a second crisis from the flooding that you possibly wouldn't have expected so I think it's a case of bringing the right aid and that's definitely something that I think possibly governments might listen to going forward is okay yes we want to provide aid but do we want to actually provide the aid that they need or are we going to just sort of pledge the money and I think it's something that possibly does need to change but they are getting things out there and like I say it was massive in the news agenda when it happened uh, lots and lots of sort of news coverage on it um people are seeing it and they are getting help um but it's just a case of sort of like you say Liz how how do you go about building an entire city yeah. again and another thing that you pointed out when we were talking about this was there's now protests on the back of that can you explain a little bit what these protests are about why are people in this time of like pr probably the most horrendous time in the country's being for many years why are people now protesting so Dan has had quite a complicated political history um over the years um it's probably very long and very hard to explain sort of in a podcast episode um but there's a lot of criticism that this the dam breaks could have possibly been prevented a lot of experts are warning um saying that they knew about the weaknesses of it they were always encouraging the government to spend more money in the area and prevent sort of build new dams and strengthen existing um sort of flood defenses but that money obviously hasn't transferred to actually happening and things like that so i think a lot of people once they got over the initial grief then turned it turned to anger and they decided to do something about it. So there've been lots and lots of protests going on, um, sort of directed at the government. Um, and um, they're essentially blaming negligence and corruption for the failure of the dams, which have left um, at least 11,300 people dead. So uh, you can see sort of how the emotions change you know when we when natural disasters they feel let down they feel yeah. let down by the people that are essentially there to protect them and in this case they've not so it's an understandable reaction to you know people have lost families they've lost homes they've lost people they care about so it's you know it's they have to show you it brings about the community thing doesn't it if people stand together change will come so that's what they're doing yeah definitely I think you know we do see a lot of this after na natural um disasters happen it does in instantly go to grief and shock and horror and then it goes to hang on why did this actually happen in the first place and that's what the Libyan people and the people of Derna have now started to think about and are now calling for change about how things are happening and 
possibly looking to the future as well and seeing could this actually happen again and that's a scary thing as well because it potentially could with climate change and extreme weather starting to become more frequent this might not actually be the first sort of massive large-scale flooding that we see in this area so I think at this point it's probably a good time to go on to our interviewee for this episode Uh, with the podcast we hope to get people on to discuss the news topics that we're discussing to find out you know people's perspectives and opinions and you've took the lead on the first interviewee Abby so do you want to give him an introduction? Yes, so I spoke to Baha Tashani and he's part of the Penny Appeal. This is a charity that's been going since 2009 and they're predominantly based in the UK but they sort of organise aid missions and relief missions across lots of parts of the world that are affected by poverty and also sort of big natural disasters like the flooding in Derna. Um, So they're a British Muslim charity and like I say, they've been going since 2009. So I started off by asking him what type of aid they've been providing for the people of Derna. The first phase is is emergency response, rescue mission. So we sent one of our teams and it's actually one of our partners. Uh, They came across, they're a Turkish partner uh, of Penipil and they were just helping with the rescue missions, finding bodies, removing rubble, usual stuff. Uh, Obviously, as things prolong and go on it's going to be food it's going to be water as in literally water bottles medical aid setting up medical camps that's the sort of work we're going to be doing Uh, but we have found uh that a lot of aid is in derna so uh, especially with my personal contacts in the city there's a lot of food there there's a lot of charities and governments that have gone there uh and it's actually more about making sure that Every family that needs the aid gets it rather than spending more aid. So uh, our policy has also been we're going to continue to fundraise, uh, but we're not going to necessarily just spend and spend and spend the money where it's not needed. So we're looking at more long term as well, because as you can imagine, you've got 90,000 people, uh, as is the reported population of Denver, the actual population it's probably more than that. I mean, I know I've always known it to be around 150,000 uh, from kind of local sources. 11,000 dead, 10,000 still missing. You're going to have a very, very long term impact. 25% of the city has been destroyed. And that's the main city centre, the old town centre, the markets, the uh, marina area, all of that. So the business hubs. So it's going to be a long-term project. So uh, yes, there's the emergency aid, the first response, all of that. But because there is, uh, you know, the the story's got so much attention. There's so many governments out there helping, sending aid, so many huge organizations, you know, much bigger than Penny Peel, giving their aid. Uh, Our kind of team there is uh, prioritizing, making sure the aid goes to the right uh, people, uh, getting it to the right, you know, to everybody, uh, which I don't think, has been it has been the case uh because of the the, the splitting of derna uh, by the flood uh but also it's about the long-term uh support that we can provide uh pro- providing you know things like shelters and potentially also rebuilding uh derna uh, but these are conversations that we're still having within the charity how important is it to actually work with locals to actually find out what they're needing rather than just sort of going right we're going to send everything we possibly can but 
like you mentioned, people might not actually need what people are sending them. Yeah, so again, it's all dependent and relative to the, the emergency situation. Usually, the more food, the better, the more medical aid, the better. Uh, but yeah, with, with this scenario, it was very important for us to communicate with people on the ground. Uh, and it's also extra important because Derna is a small city and the people who know people in Derna are a small amount of people. Uh, myself, I'm very fortunate uh, in, you know, in being in a position where I can help a little bit more than even people within Libya because the charities from Libya who were the first responders who took the aid first, they, a lot of them don't know people in Derna. Uh, and of course, initially, the, sec the second problem is a lot of people were, uh, you weren't able to communicate with people with, inside Derna because of internet connection, because of telephone connection. Um, so you weren't able to communicate with all sides of the city. Uh, but what I, what I also found was even the Libyan charities, because they don't know the city, they don't know the, the areas, uh, they've just got aid to that west, basically that west entrance uh, of the city and were kind of inviting people to come out. But because of the situation was so disastrous, roads were destroyed, uh, you know, everything was destroyed. The city was, like I said, split down the middle. There needed to be a communication with all the aid organisations that they needed to get across to the east side of the city and provide aid to where that, where, where, on that side where the aid wasn't coming from. And because all the bridges and the roads that connected the city, uh, the west and the east side of Derna were destroyed. In fact, there wasn't really, it was never considered the west and east side of Derna previously until the flood came and split it like that. Uh, there was obviously always the canal in the middle, uh, but you know, my, my uh, his, you know, knowledge of the city, I never, I never remember people saying west Derna or east Derna, that never was the case. But because of the scale of the devastation and the earthquake, uh, sorry, the flooding coming right down the middle, that's what's happened. So we liaise with obviously our uh, team on the ground, so our partners, but also by that time uh, we have an office in Australia. So the team in Australia is actually leading on the aid uh, on behalf of Penipil there, the Penipil team. So we liaise with them to and put them in touch with people, locals on the ground to make sure they've found the route that goes almost around where the flooding started, where the dam broke, and to the east of the city. Uh, but also to implore them to ask as many charities as possible, as many of the other aid organisations as possible, that, yes, setting up the camps is okay, which is what happens usually, uh, but there's a lot of homes that we weren't getting to. There's a lot of elderly people, disabled people we weren't getting to. So we had to basically just give people a push, uh, the aid workers themselves, the volunteers, the it did literally have to be home by home in some cases. And, you know, you just you send your scouting groups, they find the need, then they, then they can bring, you know, make their assessments and then they can bring food packs, bring whatever's needed, bring bedding. Uh, but it obviously, it's like, a, a, like a, a, I said as well previously, I empathise a lot with the people who are on the ground giving the aid because when the roads are not there, uh, it's you don't know the city, it's literally going to be a case of picking up you know, imagine you're picking up a mattress and walking, you know, maybe a kilometre with it uh, to that home which hasn't had aid yet, hasn't had the mattress. They need mattresses, etc. So it's a tough situation for the people on the ground. So uh, I guess it's just, yes, yeah, teamwork. It's giving the information 
uh, and uh, hopefully people people go go out and implement. And then just sort of finally, um, obviously from um, Derna, and I believe you've still got family there, am I right in thinking? Yeah. So how does it make you feel watching what's happened recently, sort of seeing all the destruction in your hometown? Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it, yeah, it's very saddening. So my mother's was born there. Mm-hmm. My, her, both her parents are buried there. My father's father, uh, my granddad from father's side, is from there, uh, so his, his family or we're, we're, I'm, my name is Baha Tashani. The Tashanis have uh, a very famous mosque uh, in the center in the old town of the city, um, uh, and they live around that area in the central area. Uh, I don't know those Tashanis personally, um, so they're not like from our side of the family, uh, but you know they've lost hundreds, over hundred people have passed from that family, for example. And it's just, you know, I mean, even if you don't know the people, uh, you know, they share my last name. Uh, you know, once upon a time, we shared a, you know, a grandfather. So you've got that. Um, you've got, but then I've got the people who I do know directly. Uh, so my family from my mum's side, my uncle's family and my uh, auntie's family, who, uh, you know, one of them is, you know, probably my, my closest friend inside Libya. Um, is is my cousin, and when I was speaking to him, he personally lost fifty four members of his family, and that that that's just well, I didn't even know how to speak to him about it. I really didn't. I didn't know what to say to him. He was very strong. In fact, he was the one who was like cheering me up. If I'm honest, he was saying, "Look, oh, uh, Baha'i." He's like, "I was like, look, I'm I'm planning to come." I said, "Look, as soon as I'm better, I'm going to come with the charity. I'm going to, you know, be supporting." And he said, "Baha'i, there's nothing nothing for you here to come for, you know." The city that you once knew is gone. He was like, just, just stay in the UK. But, you know, saying it in like a funny and playful way. And um, I think sometimes you need that uh, to get over it. Obviously, my mum, she knows that, that, you know, she knows whenever she sees an image, she knows that street, she knows that place. And for me, a lot of those areas I recognise. And even those, you know, like when I've seen a dis- destroyed home that I don't recognise, it just it just registers with me. Uh, as 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 somewhere that I recognise, and you just see the broken homes, the broken roads, and yeah, it just it makes you very sad. Uh, the the thing that made me cry initially when I realised how big it was was that I was always personally, you know, in my mind, I always thought it's always going to be there. I'm always going to be able to go back. So the last time I went was in 2014, and because of how difficult Libya was then, I've probably been off put by going back especially there in itself it was very dangerous for me to go there and I've put off going back for so long and but I've always thought in the back of my mind I will go I will see my family there I will see you know those streets of there again I will spend spend that time there and when I saw the level of destruction I just thought you know I've took it for granted that's that's what's happened I've, like my cousin told me the there you once knew is gone the squares where we used to chill the uh, you know the uh the kind of promenade where we used to uh, walk down the market, you know, the the old town where we used to, you know, go and buy and haggle with uh, the shopkeepers, the cafes, uh, all of that. Um, you know, a, a lot of obviously my childhood memories. I, you know, I will never be able to see those places again. It's, uh, it's just, yeah, it's. I would say it's very sad for me, but I'm I'm sure a lot more people are a lot more affected. Uh, by this, who've lost, you know, you you're talking up to ten percent of the population of Dunn has gone, and people are dead. Uh, many more homes, twenty five percent of the buildings have gone. 
So people will be more affected 100% than myself by the tragedy, but I've, I've definitely felt it. So Liz, that was me talking to Baha Tashani from The Penny Field. What sort of stood out to you from listening to that interview? I think the main thing is that one, he works within the charity that's massively supporting like the cause, but how he's been so impacted by what's gone on. He's like, he's working within this country, am I right, to like support, or is he going over there? Uh, like, he, he works in Britain, but they, they have yeah. aid workers that go over to sort of Libya and places like that who are impacted by sort of extreme weather events. I was trying to put it into my perspective when I was listening to it, and it was more so that this could happen to absolutely anyone. I was trying to put the actual like story into like my own perspective, into like context, as if I was like massive, like if it was something that had happened to people I love. And in those situations, it is it's easy to feel quite helpless. And the fact that you know he's lost all these people connected to his family, yet he's still wanting to help. He's still working to help like it can't be the easiest thing to do in the world at all no definitely not and I think it was quite an interesting thing that you pick up on like this could happen to anyone this isn't something this isn't a disaster that's been man-made um it is just something that's happened and it could very well happen in Britain and I found that really fascinating as well to sort of hear that this is, a, this is a city that's been devastated by something that is completely out of their control, yet all, they're all doing so, so much to try and help each other. And charities are working so hard to try and get aid to people who desperately need it. It's not one of those sort of ideas and sort of pledges to help and nothing comes out of it. You know, people are going from house to house, searching for people with next to nothing just to try and get those people out and I think that's that's something that was really stood out to me in that interview is how much people wanted to help people in Derna and it brings back that like initial like theme of community that we were talking about in the beginning before the interview these things bring people together you see it across the world you've seen it when there's been hurricanes in America and massive natural disasters anywhere across the world it brings a sense of community and obviously they're completely horrible and horrendous things that are quite brutal but it does bring people back together they all fight for the same thing and all desire to like protect their home and it's quite in that sense it's nice to see that come on the back of it yeah, absolutely. Another thing that sort of stood out to me before we started the interview, I was talking to him and he was saying about that these things have been happening so much this year, you know, the Turkey and Syria earthquake that happened at the beginning of the year and how as a charity, they're still working with that. They're trying to provide long term aid for these disasters that are still happening. You know, the Morocco earthquake happened just a week before, two weeks before the of flooding and these people are still needing help but the way because of how the news agenda works it doesn't necessarily stay prominent in the wider public's mind yet there are still charities that are continuing to work with those people who still need those things and we're talking about like the uh, Turkey and Syria earthquake you know that happened months and months ago yet 
the devastation is still there. The people are still being displaced because of it and they're still suffering. And it made me wonder how long it will be before the rescue relief and the Derna sort of support does eventually stop and how long after that it actually goes back to how it was before but even that's sort of a very abstract idea because it's a quarter of the city that's potentially been um destroyed how do you even go back about building you know it's essentially an entire city back to how it was do you think when it comes to the news agenda and even down to like the charity help that it disappears after a period of time because the next thing's arrived like I'm talking just purely like natural disasters here. Yeah, are they I'd... happening? Are we, are we, we're seeing them more often. Like you've just given us three, four that have happened in the last six months, probably. Yeah. So, I, I really how much think... help have we got? That, that I think that's the question, and unfortunately, I don't think it's something that will ever get answered. In that you know charities do only have a finite amount of money they only have a finite amount of resources to help these people and it's quite right that when the initial disaster happens all the resources go to that but then like you say another disaster happens and another set of people need relief and aid instantly and it's it's quite challenging I mean I just named three but there was the Greece wildfires, um, everything that was happening over there. There was, um, like you've brought up a couple of times, the flooding and the um, destruction that's happened in um, America. You know, just this week, there's been mentions about um, flash floods in New York. So it's I think it's so hard to know at what point you stop giving aid to places that have had natural disasters. And... Unfortunately, I don't think it will ever be a a topic that you can ever sort of determine. You can never have like sort of a, an actual numerical value or a, a sort of an amount of time that you put on things because each disaster is different and the way it impacts a community and a country is all very different. A flooding, it's extremely different to an earthquake and again to a, like a wildfire. So the difference in aid that's needed as well I think I think it's really difficult to sort of know but it's hard when you sort of are reminded of these things and how often they're happening that how quickly things come into the news agenda and how thing, quickly things then go out of the news agenda as well. I think that kind of nicely brings us on to like our next topic that we'll be talking about in episode two which is extreme weather um, because I mean this last year specifically we've seen so much as we've mentioned already but then we've got things like South Korea where they had a huge like horrendous heat wave um yeah so it'd be interesting to look into more wider extreme weathers absolutely yeah I think this 2023 has seen some ex- like extreme weather you know <laughs> sort of encompasses it completely and the amount of people that have been displaced by weather events that have happened and not just the same weather event people always talk about climate change in the context of the world is heating up but what a lot of people don't realize is when climate change is impacting us it's not just that the summers get hotter and things like that it's that we have more rainfall because more water evaporates because of the heat we have intense sort of weather events that are quite extreme but for shorter periods and it was um sort of 
the July weather that we've had, you know, this year in the UK, extreme, extreme rain, yet we've seen wildfires happening in other parts of Europe. So I think it'll be really interesting for us to sort of look at how what's exactly happened. There's been so many across the year and whether it is because of climate change or whether it's because of human impact or maybe it's a mixture of both. Absolutely. I think that is, you know, the question because at the minute, even in the UK, you look at us for a perspective, what's happening here? So, yeah, I think that's definitely something that we need to look into, Abby. Absolutely. Well, we hope you'll join us next time where we talk about the extreme weather um, and sort of what's going on at the moment. But thank you very much for listening to our first episode all about the Libya flooding.